this way, we suffer with Christ. We share in the sufferings of Christ. That kind of suffering, suffering as a Christian, has no shame in it. And we're supposed to meet it with joy and with glory. There are ways that we suffer, however, that are different. We suffer as sinners. Sins both great and small. And we're to be sure not to experience that, though many of us have. What Peter is saying is that we should avoid suffering as a sinner and be a suffering one as a Christian. And what he means by that is that when that happens, the Spirit of God and His glory rests upon us. And we will also rejoice in that when we uh, have the revelation of His glory. So, what is, Paul, what is Peter talking about? <clears throat> Sorry about the breathing problem. It's, just, it's hard to breathe and talk at the same time. Um, he's talking about being reviled for the name of Christ. And that means to be dismissed, insulted, or denounced because of our confession, because of our faith, and because of our obedience. Uh, that ridicule that comes to believers is sharing in the suffering of Christ. I'd like you to turn to some passages. Um, first one in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus also talks about this. I'm going to these passages because you and I live in a time when um, most of our history as American Christians has not been suffering. We've actually been encouraged in our faith by the culture and by the country. But those days may be coming to a close. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets which were before you. This is a fascinating text, and we've all heard it several times, but I think sometimes we forget that these words were spoken to Jews. There were no Baptists there at that time. They're spoken to Jews, and Jesus says, when you're persecuted, they persecuted the prophets that same way. Who was they? It wasn't the world. It wasn't the other countries. It was their fellow Jews, their fellow Israelites, who when the prophets came to them and warned them and tried to comfort them, they were persecuted. This is important because uh, we have a tendency to think that persecution is only going to come from the world. But sometimes it comes from insults and persecution from our brethren. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of people, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Notice, this is persecution within the so-called people of God. And, the, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry on what you will say. You will be given what to say in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Remember, when you are suffering this insult and this persecution, the Spirit of God is resting on you. 
brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who endures to the end who will be saved. When they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. You will not go through all the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So again we have here, Jesus is sending out his disciples and he tells them they're going to suffer at the hands of their countrymen and their family members will reject them. Many Messianic Jews know this. Many of them have been insulted and rejected by their fellow Jews. Jesus said that a brother will betray a brother and fathers their children and children their parents. Uh, this shares in the suffering of Christ, but we are suffering at the hands of of our, um, of our own. Now, I want to be careful here. It's possible to read these verses because they're talking primarily about Israel and think that this is terrible, these Jews, right? That's anti-Semitism. This is not a Jewish problem. It's a human problem. The evil and suffering of Christians by fellow Christians is far greater in number and in kind if you know the history of the church. So these texts can also be applied to us. We may see ourselves persecuted by those who name the name of Christ, but they name the name of Christ in a different way. Now, if we look now at Matthew 24, notice I'm going through that Matthew book that we went through a few months ago. In Matthew 24, verse 9, Jesus says this, they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise, and because of lawlessness uh, is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Again, Jesus tells, and this he's talking about the end of time, and what he says is that there will be persecution and there will be believers who will fall away from the faith. Paul tells us that's a large group that's going to fall away from the faith. I believe that there will be a push towards assimilation. We're already seeing that as Christians are being assimilated and secularized and less and less believing and then they will turn on those who haven't. I was in a meeting, Dr. Bergen and I were in there, and it was a meeting that was trying to remove evangelical Christians from being able to be licensed therapists. And all of them were ex-evangelicals who had some kind of bitterness in them now going against evangelicals in that framework. So this may happen in greater uh, context. Now... American Christians have little of this in our history. Even our present is not that rough. We have thrived in this country, and for the most part, we've only fought with each other, right? Uh, over doctrine and over practice. But we have ended up watering down the gospel, so it's kind of a magic words, say the magic words and you go to heaven. We've not pushed discipleship. It's left many of our homes and many of our congregations as Christianity has kind of morphed into an American form and not a biblical form. Uh, and that was easy to do because the culture was very cooperative with Christianity. But that's changing. 
Radical secularism and radical individuality have permeated our culture through the media and through the schools, and it's entered our congregations. And the faith that was once respected and encouraged is becoming less tolerated in the public square. And in our homes, there's a very little of the faith being taught. That's why the Disciple Center has emphasized that so much. We're not being hated. We're being ignored. And we are unseen except for a caricature that you will begin to see. And I'm seeing more and more of it in media where they will show an evangelical or they'll show a pastor or they'll show an evangelist and they're a crook or they're a problem or they're a gossip or they're an adulterer. And so we are being seen in that caricature. Now the danger of this is that much of that caricature is largely our fault because we have allowed that kind of thing because we've not addressed even church discipline in many of our congregations. Uh, So we are given this backward-thinking, ignorant, Bible-thumping, religious nut uh, that is, in part, a caricature that we've created. The younger generation is drowning in in secularism and in identity activism. uh, And any connection with Judaism and Christianity is largely removed from the biblical content that takes the covenants and the commandments seriously. Next week, we're going to do confirmation with three of our young people, our young adults who have just been baptized. I'm so thrilled to see this because out of this congregation, we're going to see young people become adults in the Lord, taking this faith seriously so that they will say, as they marry, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What an exciting thing that will be next week. Now, we don't grieve as those who uh, have no hope. If persecution comes, and I believe it will, most Christians don't have a seriousness of the faith or the assurance of God's presence to endure the suffering. We seem to think that faith will prevent suffering, but that's not what it is. Faith endures suffering. So, we do not suffer as those who have no hope either. When we suffer as Christians, the spirit and glory of God rests upon us so that we can rejoice. In Acts chapter 5, I'm not going to have you turn there, but in chapter 5, when the disciples are rebuked and, and shamed because of their preaching of the gospel, they're even jailed and, the, and God lets them out and they go right back into their preaching and they're told not to do it. When they leave, the people who are telling them not to do it, they rejoice that they're counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord. Now, in that first passage we looked at in 1 Peter 4, verses 17 to 19, says that judgment is coming. That's what the last days will be about, the great judgment. And that judgment begins with the house of God. And Peter says, if we're barely going to be saved, how will those wicked people uh, endure in that context? So it's important that we Remember that suffering according to God's will requires that we entrust ourselves to God and keep doing what's right. The pressure will be on us to kind of not express our faith, to not live our faith. We're already seeing that with some of the governors pushing very hard for us not to meet at all. And that is problematic for the faith being reinforced and for us to obey God.
So I want to end with a passage. Um, I hope you don't mind I've shortened things down because I'm, I'm still fighting the air. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. I haven't used this Bible in a while, too. I can't find anything. <laughs> Hebrews 10, uh, 32. I want you to understand that suffering for the Lord is normative. The experience we've had in the American church is abnormal. And around the world, Christians know that because they suffer and they struggle. But we've really had it pretty easy and and we've grown up in that context with our ancestors having grown up in that context. And we don't really know what dealing with persecution is going to be like. But the early believers did. So listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says. He says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, he means coming to faith, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving or the saving of the soul. Now, it's important that we need to begin to think that suffering is more normative. And I'm going to suggest that what we do, not only as we read stories of the, of the martyrs, but we need to know about those who in the present world are suffering because of the name of Christ. And we need to share in their sufferings. This verse says, you not only suffered, but you were partakers with those who were so treated. In other words, when we hear about these things around the world, we need to share in that in our prayer and in our concern for them. I remember in the 60s hearing about uh, the, the Jewish people constantly aware in their synagogues of Jews who were suffering in Russia. They were wanting the Russian Jews to be released. They didn't make it about, well, that's another country. They were our people, and therefore we need to share in their sufferings. I think we need to have a more global sense of what persecution and suffering is in the church. And we're going to try to make you more aware of that for two reasons. One, so you can share in that. And two, so you remember that suffering for the name of Christ is normative. Those who live righteous in this life will suffer persecution, the scripture says. There's an enormous doctrine of suffering in the New Testament that is largely unpreached and largely unknown and largely unprepared for by American Christians. So, remember, we are not those who will shrink back 
to the destruction, but we will press on by faith, knowing that he who began a good work in us will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your word is clear that suffering is normative for your people. And as we read the scriptures and the narratives particularly, we see persecution. In some cases, in that persecution, Lord, you bring deliverance as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes, Lord, you carry people through until your outcome shows, as you did with Joseph. But sometimes, Lord, they suffer martyrdom. They suffer torture. They suffer prison. And they suffer death. But whether we live or die, Lord, we belong to you. For we are your people, bought with a price. So help us, Lord, to strengthen our faith to identify with those who suffer for your name, that we too, if we're counted worthy to suffer for your name, will endure as the saints have in the past. Grant, Lord, that we can teach this to ourselves, to our converts, and to our children, that we will be faithful to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I guess we can do a little Q&A.